scripture reading for today is from Luke 19, 28 to 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to them, said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if, they, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's great to be back uh, with you guys. Uh, some of you are visiting today, so you don't know that I've been gone for two months because I had open heart surgery on Groundhog Day, and I saw my shadow, and so I'm good for another 14, 15 years. But uh, you can imagine um, when I went in for this heart catheterization. Uh, my father died when he was 72. I'll turn 72 this year of a heart attack. So I've been very vigilant watching and paying attention. So when I went in for a heart catheterization on the 29th, I thought I'll get a couple stints and I'll be good. So when you go in for a heart catheterization, hopefully you don't have to do that, um, they sedate you, but you're awake. So you can hear and see everything going on and uh, so my cardiologist disappears in this room so they can look at what's going on inside my heart. So about 20 minutes into it, and he said it'll be 45 minutes for the catheterization, and if we need to put stents, another 45 minutes, and then uh, you will be ready to go in a few days. So I thought I'd be back here the next Sunday. So you can imagine, even though I'm numb, I don't feel anything, I can hear these words, shut it down. And so I go, well, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> you know, shut it down. I mean, they just started. And uh, my cardiologist comes out, and he's got a mask on and one of those fancy surgical hats. And he leans over me and said, Clyde, you've got a serious problem here. We're going to keep you in the hospital overnight, and we're going to do open-heart surgery on you tomorrow. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And again, I was so numb, I couldn't be stunned. I was, but I wasn't able to feel stunned because of that message. But thanks be to God, they caught that I had serious blockage um, in my main uh, artery, but my other ones as well. So I got four new lanes in my heart. So I have an eight-lane heart now. Uh, and uh, what you hear a lot of people say, which I will reassure all of you, you feel so good again. <laughs> I forgot how good it is to feel with a healthy heart. I'd forgotten. I mean, I, oh, I felt like, well, I'm 71. This one's 71. I'm tired. 
I don't have a lot of energy, all that. But now that I have a new heart, I feel like I'm 51. Uh, so anyway, it's great to be back with you. Thanks for a lot of prayers. Uh, both Valerie and I felt them. We experienced some thanks for the cards and the notes and all the things you did to encourage us. But I'm glad to be back and be with you guys over the next few Sundays as we continue to pray for the next pastor who will be the pastor of North Cross Church. But again, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be a part of North Cross. Uh, you go to serve, and it really is true. I have given, but I've gotten so much more by doing this with you than what I feel like I've given. So thank you for what I've received through being a part of North Cross for the mm, almost seven or eight months that I've been here. Well, now we're going to pray together, and we're going to kind of pray uh, liturgically as we pray. I'm going to uh, say a few words, and then when I say uh, this, hear our prayer, I want you to pray this, Christ have mercy. So, um, you know, if I pray this a few sentences and I'll say, Lord, hear our prayer, I want all of you to say, Christ have mercy. But let's just pause for now and let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to be with us today. And uh, Father, we do pray now for your spirit, and we pray, Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us. Uh, would you melt our hearts and uh, mold our hearts, fill our hearts, and then Lord, uh, would you use us uh, today as we uh, listen and we respond, but we go forth on a new week, this holy week, uh, to know you better and to love those around us. So, Lord, would you use our prayers today? Uh, so, Father, we, uh, first of all, want to pray today for Covenant Presbyterian Church, where the shooting was this week. Um, we pray for uh, the families impacted. We think of the pastor who lost his nine-year-old daughter. Uh, Haley, the service, funeral service for her was yesterday. Um, and we pray for the parents of the three children who died, including the Scruggs. And then we pray for the three adults who lost their life and their families. And so, Lord Jesus, hear our prayer. Christ, have mercy. Father, we pray for all those who are uh, really struggling today, waking up because of the tornadoes and uh, to see the videos of all the devastation in Mississippi coming all the way through. Arkansas, all the way into Tennessee, the 22 people who've lost their lives. It's hard for us to even capture that uh, in our imagination, what it would be like for tornadoes like that to come through this area. But we pray for those families. We pray for their friends. We pray for all those who are waking up to that kind of de devastation. So, uh, God, have mercy on us today and hear our prayer. Christ, have mercy. Father, we pray today for um, the Ukraine. Uh, we, our hearts stay connected to that part of the world that is experiencing such devastation and loss. We pray you'll defeat the principalities and the powers that are behind Russia's desire to uh, take over that part of the country and to devastate so many. So, God, hear our prayer. Christ, have mercy. And then, Father, we pray today that you'd help us in our meeting and our search uh, for a new pastor, 
uh, our desire to see you use this church in a powerful way uh, for your glory. And so, Father, hear our prayer. Christ, have mercy. And then let us pray uh, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, this is the beginning of Holy Week, uh, and uh, we're looking at the account from Luke. It's in all four Gospels, and so if you're visiting with us today, and the Christian faith is something that you're exploring, or you're here visiting with family and friends, this is a week in the life of the church where we remember Jesus starting uh, the the beginning of the end of his life with this triumphal in, uh, entry into Jerusalem. And it's called the triumphal entry because there's a victory that God wins in this, that even before the cross that we can kind of take in for ourselves today. But uh, recently I was uh, reminded of uh, a man that I admire who shaped a lot of my preaching, a man named Steve Brown. Some of you might know him. He's actually from North Carolina. He's from Asheville. He's got this kind of booming radio kind of voice. Uh, he was a pastor at a church in Key Biscayne, Florida, many years ago. But he has a ministry called Key Life Ministry. And back in the day, I'd show your age if you can remember cassette tapes. When we have cassette tapes, I listened to a lot of his sermons. And so he shaped a lot of the way I preach and helped me understand how to preach Jesus better. Uh, and uh, he, he's just an amazing character, and so I've actually met him and know him a little bit, so he'll always, when he sees me, he'll, he'll say, once I remind him I'm Clyde Godwin, he'll say, Clyde, I pray for you, <laughs> you know, and so, but he's got this great voice, but when Steve would get up to preach, and this is a good way for us to start uh, as we begin this uh, Holy Week, is he'd stand up and preach, he'd go, you know, I've been thinking that if you really knew me and knew what I struggle with, you wouldn't want to hear me preach this morning. You wouldn't want to listen to me. And then he pauses for effect. And then he goes, but you know, I've been thinking about it. If I really knew you and knew what you struggle with, I wouldn't want to preach to you. <laughs> and so, but that kind of captures the beginning of Holy Week, but why we do church. We're all broken people. Uh, we all need to know God through our brokenness and how Jesus has come to redeem our brokenness. And here's the really good news. If you need good news this morning, Jesus knows the worst thing about you, and he loves you. And not only does he love you, and even this is true for Roger here this morning. Uh, it's hard for me not to pick on him. Uh, so I'm on a, right here at the beginning. Is that God not only loves Roger, he likes him, <laughs> you know? And I love Roger, and I really like him, but Jesus knows the worst about Roger, and he likes him. And see, that's good news this morning. So when you begin to think, oh, well, what is all this about for me? What does it look like to live in a relationship with the living God where you know he loves you and he likes you, and that transforms everything about you? 
So this morning we're going to talk about the fulfillment around uh, Palm Sunday and the fullness that it brings, that God's called us, Jesus invites us into his fullness and his fulfillment. But we're going to do more of a Bible study here this morning. We're going to look at the original meaning of it this morning. This is not the way I normally preach, but I think it's important to kind of go through the story and just notice things in the story that remind us. C.S. Lewis has a famous thing. He said, we don't need to learn new things. We need to be reminded of old things because it's through the memory, remembering and the memory of what God has done and keep going over the same things that we really do discover the truth that sets us free. So um, the triumphal entry was a planned event. It's the unfolding drama of the fulfillment of Zechariah 9. So when Jesus is living his life, he's always thinking two ways. He's thinking fulfillment and fullness. He wants to fulfill what God has said about what the Redeemer, the Messiah, the King would look like. But he wants to bring the fullness of God's revelation into our story so that we, um, we discover what God has for us and what he's looking to see in us. Now the first thing that jumps out at me in this text is, is this Jesus comes to a place he knows well, Bethpage, Bethany, outside of Jerusalem, near the Mount of Olives. And he uh, tells two of his servants to do this. He says, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where, and when on entering it, you will find a colt, tied in which no one has ever sat. Uh, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Now, uh, he's saying to his two disciples, go in and get this young donkey, this young foal, this colt, if you will, uh, because I have need of it. And you think, now, how would the people that they see Jesus telling the disciples, would they respond if you showed up and took a colt from them? Now, this is not some kind of Jedi mind trick, okay, that Jesus is setting in motion, not some kind of weird phenomenon where Jesus' spirit, this is a spiritual thing. Jesus had planned this event. He was there on a regular basis. He had probably told these people that he needed one that had never been sat on before. Um, and when you, we hear this little phrase, he says, tell them that I need it. That was pretty common in that day. So if I'm a rabbi and I come to Cornelius and I come to your house and say, hey, uh, I need something from you, um, I, I need it, you wouldn't question that. You would automatically want to give it to me. So when Jesus says, tell them that I need it, they would understand that was a common practice. If you were a respected teacher or leader, if the Lord needs it, then you would get it. Um, and then when that it happens, it says here in the text, just as he said, the people said, sure, here it is. Here it is for you. Now, again, when we look at this drama that's unfolding, notice that Jesus doesn't say, go get the big powerful stallion that I can ride into Jerusalem on. Right away, we're going to clue into something that's really key for us as we start Holy Week. And that is, he says, choose an animal, pick this colt out, this young donkey, if you will, that I'm going to ride into Jerusalem on, 
And here's what you would have understood if you were in Luke's day, is that that animal signified you're going to ride in looking for peace. It was an animal that you would ride in on peace. Now, most of you have seen uh, movies of uh, gladiator, Roman soldiers riding in with chariots and horses and all this. And that has the idea of you're riding in on a war horse. Jesus comes in humbly on an animal that says, I'm coming to bring peace. Um, and then the other thing we see in the text, it says, pick a, a donkey that no one's ever ridden on before. So it has this idea that has a sacred idea to it. Nobody else has ridden on it. But here's the thing I want you to see right at this point when you read this story. It says that he let the disciples put him on the donkey. In other words, he just didn't jump on by himself. Right at this point, it's really key. We see something that's going to be important to where we want to go this morning. Is He let himself be lifted up and put on the donkey. And then the procession begins. And it says whole multitudes. In other words, when it, the word had to be out that Jesus is coming. And uh, they had heard the stories. They had seen him do miraculous things. And it says the whole multitudes began praising him for the mighty works he had done. Uh, so let me give you a quick sidebar illustration. Maybe it'll give you a little idea of, of what this is like. I remember uh, next weekend is the Masters Golf Tournament. And I've had the joy of going three times to watch the Masters and be there. But I was there when the young Tiger Woods was just starting off. And so I'm, uh, for those of you who know the golf tournament, I'm on the 15th hole uh, along the fairway watching. But you start here whispering in the crowds, and this is what you hear. Tiger is coming. Tiger is coming. You know, and all of a sudden, I mean, already he had the awe of a lot of people. But it's quiet. And everybody's up on tiptoe. And they're looking. They're looking for Tiger. You know, they're looking for him. So if we're in that crowd, not only are we excited because we've seen what he can do, it's like Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And you see this explosion of just joy and praise and excitement that Jesus is coming. And li listen to what they say. They say the, these phrases from Psalm 118, if I can find it real quick. And they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In other words, they're quoting scripture in fulfillment. They already understood that Jesus was coming to fulfill the messianic role, the role of the king they longed for, because they longed for a king that would deliver them from the oppression of Rome. They had it messed up, but again, here's what you have to love. Even when we, we don't understand things completely and we're kind of messed up, God loves us and he uses it. <laughs> so even our messed up understandings and implications of what's going on, Jesus knew that even though they were singing his praise and they loved him, they wanted him for a reason that he wasn't coming. Okay, so they miss us. They got it totally wrong. So if you're here today, you're looking for a relationship with God, and you want a relationship with God because it's about you rather than about Him, be encouraged. God understands that, and He wants to meet you in that. 
And he loves it. He wants to love you through it. So if you're here for just pure selfish reasons, I'm here because I need to get out of the ditch I'm in. I need to get out. I need help. And you don't understand the bigger truth of what God has revealed for you and will you. You'll get there, just like the people who had it messed up needed to get there. But Jesus is going through the fulfillment again to reveal the fullness, which all that's coming. But when we begin to look at this, um, it's pretty crazy. Now, notice what happens. The religious leaders are upset with Jesus, and they tell him, rebuke your disciples for being so excited and saying all these things. You need to rebuke them. Now, again, uh, two emotions that you see in Jesus. If you study the life of Jesus, first of all, he was full of compassion. Right after this, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He was filled with compassion for people's brokenness and their sin. But when he bumped up against pride and self-righteousness, you saw his anger. So two primary emotions about Jesus. He's angry with those who use their own independence, their own righteousness to try and take control of people, to hurt people. He gets really angry. And so when he, <laughs> when he said, you know, when they say to him, you need to rebuke your disciples, you can almost see Jesus way up around him and said, let me tell you, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Now, you be the Pharisee. Put yourself in this story. You just said, hey, we're the people who you should respect, Jesus. And now you're throwing it back on us. You're throwing shade on us, telling us that even the rocks will cry out. Now, again, I don't know about you, but, what, I mean, you look at this and go, what does that mean? Now, if you go back to Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, and Habakkuk 2.11, okay, you can go look this up later. There's this verse that became kind of a proverb during the day, and it was this. Now, this Habakkuk 2.11 is a judgment against Babylon because Babylon would go and invade and take things from other countries like rocks, and take them and put it into their buildings or their homes. But Habakkuk 2.11 says, the rocks that you stole will cry out. There's another place uh, in the prophetic literature, actually it's in James as well, where it says, the wages that you withheld, the corrupt wages that you paid your labor, they will cry out. Now, for those of you who've studied the Bible, uh, you can keep running with this a little bit. Remember, in the very beginning uh, of the history of men and women, uh, Cain and Abel, what does it say? The, the blood of Cain will cry out from the ground. So it's imagery, it's metaphor, but it's this idea of crying out. So when Jesus says to the disciples, he's really going, I mean, to the Pharisees, he's going after their hearts when he says, guess what? If, you, if I did this, even the rocks will cry out judgment against you because what is happening here is true and right and good. So, wow, there, it's a pretty amazing story. So after just kind of thinking through what's going on here, the thing that you want to learn as a good student of Scripture, you want understanding, but you want understanding so that you can apply it. 
So I want to take the passage that we just looked at and now say, okay, how does it apply? So here we are at the beginning of Holy Week. And God has sent me as a messenger to you saying, Jesus needs something from you. The Lord needs something from you. And what does he need? We've looked in this example, what Jesus need was an animal that would he could ride that would present peace. But Jesus needs people that he can work through and express his love for people like you and me through. And what's the characteristics of what we learn about the donkey, okay? The donkey's humble. Uh, it's a place where he will put himself on it to express his desire for peace. And so what does God need from you? And we've talked about this before with the children here, but it's true for all of us. God needs humility from you. He needs for you to enter into a new or maybe for the first time an experience of being humble. I was listening to a podcast this week that I like a lot. Ruben and I have talked about it. And uh, it's uh, by a guy named Kurt Thompson called Being Known. And it's all about the importance of shaping beautiful confessional communities but he's doing in this podcast a series on wisdom. And so one of his guy who hosts his podcast is interviewing him, tells a story on himself. And the guy is talking about that in his world, in his life, he always needs to be right. Uh, and so he talks about in his marriage how he and his wife are constantly having fights because he wants to, needs to be right in his conversation with her. And so he's going for counseling about why his wife doesn't want to agree with him that he's always right, you know. And the counselor says to him, if you're always right, you know what? You're going to be all alone. You're going to be all alone in your marriage. And, uh, and he said that insight kind of began to make him to realize he needs to work on his need to be right or to be understood or to be agreed with and however it plays out. And so he talks about his own transformation. Now, one of the questions that I've learned from other people who help people who struggle in their relationships, particularly if you have a need to be right, is answering this question. So we're in the application here of what does humility look like. Would you rather be right in your disagreements with people or would you rather be loving? Another way is in marriage, in close friendships, would you rather be right or would you rather be forgiven? Ooh, <laughs> that hurts, you know. I want to be right. I don't know about you, but when Valerie and I are having a disagreement, and we're trying to work them through, and I'm sure my way is the best way, and if she just agreed with me, we'd have a happy life. Uh, but you know, unhappy wife, unhappy life. So when she knows she's right, she doesn't back off. I mean, we're at it. You know, it's that sandpaper. We're going like that. So this guy, to go back in his podcast, he said, you know, one of the things as part of his repentance, and this is what humility does, helps us to consider people more important than ourselves and to love them the way Paul talks about in Philippians 2. He says, I am really committed to saying to my wife, 
when I know she's right, rather than being, you know, combative, argumentative, trying to pick her apart, whatever. It says, honey, you know what? You're right. You know what? You've got this so right. And he says, you know, it's just like this bomb goes off. His wife kind of like, who are you? <laughs> you know, it gets really quiet. So, guys, here's an application for you and your relationship with your sweet wives is that when you are in an argument with them and you realize they're really right, stop fighting with her and say, dear, you got this right, and I need to learn, I need to understand how you see that, okay? So you can ask me, are you doing that? Because this is fresh repentance for me as well. So what does it look like for humility? And that's you know what Jesus is doing here. He's humbling himself to bring the glory of God into the fulfillment of his story so that you and I learn something about him. So we realize as we start Holy Week is what does it look like to be humble and ask for help? What does it look like to be humble and see how God will provide for us? And the reason a lot of times we're missing out on God's blessing and what God wants to do for us is we're not humble. We're not asking for help. We're not praying. We're not asking people to help us. So let me give you an illustration of this. So when I was pastoring the church in Winston-Salem, where I spent 10 years, and uh, Valerie and I were involved in this community there called Hope Presbyterian, we had this great, this great idea to start going into the community and participating in a thing called the Backpack Program. Now, the backpack program was at underserved schools, Title I schools, where children were underfed and they needed good food on the weekends. You provide food for them to take home. So uh, one of the uh, deacons in our church, a great guy, came to me and said, Clyde, I think we need to be involved in this backpack program uh, for this particular school. And I said, I love it, Ken. If you can set it up, get the deacons excited, people excited about it, and people jumped on this, said, we want to do this. We want to be involved in this school. And so Ken is really saying, all right, I'm excited about this. He's humbling himself. He's carving out time. He's going to do it. And the first year that you ran this program, there was a foundation, okay, that... Uh, would provide all the money you needed to buy all the food. The second year, you had to do that. The church had to do it. Well, Tim was so excited about doing this program and that it was funded. It got off to a great start. But Ken forgot that the second year, the church had to come up with that money. Now, I think it was over $8,000, somewhere in there, that we needed to come up with. So when he came up uh, to me and said, hey, Clyde, you know, the second year, we forgot to budget for this. I don't know how we're going to pay for it. And I said, Ken, God's led you to do this. And I think God's going to provide for us. I just don't know how. Now, at that point, I wasn't going to have to bear the embarrassment and the shame of we didn't have the money for it. He was. But I said, brother, let's just pray that God will provide for us. And he said, okay. And so uh, it actually happened around Christmas time. And we're getting ready to start the new year. And we still didn't have the money to pay for the backpack program. And so there was a big struggle going on. So I'll never forget, it was after a worship service, this couple that had been visiting Hope 
came up to me and they said, you know what? Uh, we love coming to church here and we're really way behind on our tithe and tithing and we need to catch up. And he gave me an envelope. He said, this catches us up for this year and I want you to use it wherever you think it can serve hope. So I open the check and look at it and what do you think is written in there? It's a check for $8,000 plus. It covered the cost. Now, what I, well, the reason I share that with you is that when you're not a very humble person and you're very sort of double-minded, you might be a little humble, but you're more upset or controlling or whatever, you're missing out how God wants to fulfill the specific things that he promises to you and me because you're not willing to ask for help so what, you, what we see here next is that Jesus allows himself to be put on uh, the donkey. Now, I think this is really significant because you see, again, Jesus' willingness to be helped. Now, if you fast forward to the image, when Jesus gets to the cross, he lets himself be put on the cross. He's not fighting. He's not struggling. He lets himself be put on the cross. And here's the application is that when you and I are trying to get help, it's to let people help us. You know, it's one thing, I, 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 don't, I don't know everybody here, but my guess if I said, hey, there's some needs here in the community and I want to get some volunteers. This is a very loving, serving, caring congregation, you know. And so I, I, I don't have any doubt the response would be great. But what if I said to you this morning, would you let people help you? Would you let people serve you? Would you let people pray for you? You can see the Heisman coming up. It's like, no, not me, you know? And here's the thing that's really exciting, though, is that when a community, when people are willing to humble themselves and ask for help, to let yourself be in a position where you're going to receive it's amazing what God begins to do. And what Jesus models for us, he let people help him. He let people kind of take care of him, but he let people worship him. Now, this is not about us worshiping um, uh, our, you know, people to worship us, but the point is, is this, is that where do you need help today? What do you need today? And are you willing to ask for help from God? And the way God wants to make that real to you is for you to ask help from God and let God use people like me and other people here help you. That's miraculous. Um, my uh, mentor, pastor, uh, Jack Miller, used to say, you'll never see a greater miracle than this, than a proud person ask for help. You see, renewal, and we're praying for revival at North Cross. Here's how you know revival's happening at North Cross. When you feel the freedom to ask people to help you. When the church begins to be this mutual supportive community, and there's some of this already going on in, so don't, this is not black and white, but you're going to go deeper when you can admit, I need help. I need you to pray. I need your wisdom. I need your advice. So Jesus comes in humility, comes bringing the sacrifice of his life into Jerusalem. And now here's the question you need to 
think with me about. Some of you know exactly where I'm coming from when I do this, and that is, what is the sacrifice God wants from you? What is it God wants you to bring to him in fulfillment of what Christ has done for you? And again, if you're not really sort of uh, in a place where you've really had a chance to think or be taught about these things, you'll miss it because you think there are things I need to do. I need to start tithing. I need to start teaching. I need to start serving. But here's the gift that God wants from you, and this will change your life. <laughs> um, this will just, I mean, it'll turn you upside down. It'll turn you around. It'll make you a better husband, mother, father. It, it's just like, woo, here we go. The sacrifice that God wants from you is a humble and contrite heart. That's what God wants. It, it's not something you can do for him. It's for you to see your need for him. And then he can go to work. <laughs> That's when you go, wow. You know, uh, one of the mistakes I make sometimes, I'll be sitting with people and they start to be vulnerable and real with me. And they start to just kind of pour out their hearts. And I get a big smile. And they go, are you mocking me? <laughs> you know, Are you making fun of me? And I go, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I'm just smiling because I'm seeing a miracle. I'm seeing what God is doing in you. And I am so excited about how God's going to help you. Now, here's one of the beautiful things. This comes out of Psalm 51. You want to go look for it is that David is saying the sacrifices that you long for are a humble and contrite heart, and you will not despise them. Now, I grew up in a family where humility and brokenness was despised. You never let people see how needy you really were. You never let people on to how much you were discouraged or disappointed or frustrated. And I grew up in a sports family, and I played on some losing teams. And I, I just remember, again, being in a football game where we got crushed. But there is no way in God's green earth I could ever talk about how embarrassed that I was humiliated by my family. It's like, we're going to work harder. We're going to outwork them. There was never a place for me to say, I am so embarrassed by what I've been through. You see, God is not going to despise your brokenness. Actually, he's going to welcome it, and he's going to work in you, and he's going to send Jesus into your life in a fresh way, and you're going to go, whoa, I, I just didn't know it could be this good. I didn't know God would pursue me this way. And that's when the rocks start to cry out, <laughs> okay? Because when you have a heart of stone, when you have a hard heart, it's like a rock. But when a hard heart, a heart of stone, begins to be set free uh, and becomes a heart of flesh and says, please help me, then you, we become what Jesus talks about through Peter. We become living stones, and we cry out. We cry out because we're so excited about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. This past week, uh, I was driving, and I saw a, a sticker on a, a back windshield of somebody's SUV, and it said, Jesus surrounds me. Jesus surrounds me. Um, and I thought, that's coming from St. Patrick's Prayer, 
But I, I like that. And then I looked below, below that. Jesus surrounds me. Below that was a crown of thorns. Um, and Jesus surrounds me because Jesus, humility, he would take upon himself a crown of thorns uh, so that his love would surround me today. So here's the application for you and me this week as we start um, uh, this week is to remember that Jesus' humility and suffering, which would lead to Good Friday, which we'll have a service here for that, and to talk about what his death meant for us, is Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that we might crown him with humility of our need for him. Uh, and here's what I want you to see is what, what would happen, which is so tragic in this situation. They, they had it messed up what Jesus was going to be for them. They know they needed him. They were praising him. But the same people that were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, that, that's what they were saying, would soon say, crucify him. The very same people who are in this story, Jesus knew would cry out for his crucifixion. Uh, they would say, crucify him. And then they would realize what they had done. And then they would realize, oh my goodness, he wore a crown of thorns so that I might now wear the crown of his joy. And so here's what I want you to think about this week. And I'd like for you to play this hymn, think about it, is that this week as we enter into Holy Week is to crown him with many crowns. And just listen to the verses that Matthew Bridges wrote in that 1851 Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns, all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as the matchless king through all eternity. Is There's nothing more powerful, my friend, than to go low and humble yourself and give your life as a crown to him, that his life would be crowned with your humility, your desire to believe that he is who he is, he's done what he's done for you and me, so that you and I might know what it really means to love him well. And let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the beauty of uh, Palm Sunday and what it invites us to, what you have for us. And we pray now that as we... Um, we come to the table to be reminded that you were crowned for us through your death um, and you wore a crown for us. You now want to crown us with your joy and we pray this in your name. Amen.